0: A paid down property, so not paid off yet, but paid down, is actually the riskiest position ever. Because as we know, the banks will happily sell that property for pennies on the dollar because the debt is small. So it's our recommendation that people either go all the way and pay it off. And that's actually not our recommendation. But if sometimes, you know, peace of mind overrides financial wisdom. Oh, yeah. So if your peace of mind says, I have got to get this paid off, then go all the way. And until then, store all that extra somewhere else.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Our guest is Kim Butler. And today we're talking about breaking the real estate investing lies, or I soften it a little bit. I say misconceptions, but she has a book about that. So we talk about a few of the lies that she's identified in the real estate investing space and her uh, opinions, positions on breaking those. I'm calling it misconceptions. I hate saying lies, but you know that is, that is her term and I certainly respect it. We also talk about her method for accessing, providing, building liquidity around her investments and the investments of her clients, as well as uh, a few misconceptions that I had around that strategy. And you're going to learn more about Those misconceptions that I had as we get into it. Don't worry about it. You're going to learn. Just sit tight. If you're new to the show and you're an Apple podcast user and you haven't done so yet and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. And no matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up, hit the subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I help passive investors. I help busy professionals invest passively in commercial real estate. That is my passion, and I'm happy to have Kim here to learn more about breaking the real estate investing lies out there. Really interesting conversation. You're going to learn so much. Without any further ado, here we go with Kim Butler. Kim, thank you for joining us today.
0: You're welcome, Taylor. Always a joy.
1: It's been great talking with you so far. Uh, For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background, what you do?
0: Absolutely. So I'm Kim Butler. My company is Prosperity Thinkers. And we help people in all 50 states add liquidity to their portfolios. I love helping people increase the control that they have over their personal finances. have a background in that uh, literally since fourth grade when I started milking cows and sold the milk and had way more money than all of my friends. And so... <laughs> Had to figure out what to do with it and literally have been dealing with money ever since. I went to college at a small private uh, liberal arts college in Elsa, Illinois called Principia. Got an English degree, hence all the books that I write. (laughs) (laughs) And um, really have just been involved in that space since the beginning of time. And I'm so, so grateful because I love my work and I'm in my mid50s and believe that I've got another 30 years to go. and I'm sure that we will talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is I talk with a lot of folks who have achieved financial freedom you know early on or at some point before kind of the regular retirement age that we expect. And you know, I think the happiest people that once they hit that point, don't just plan on going and and sitting on a beach. They say, I still have stuff to do. I still have a a purpose, a drive, things that I need to work on, whether it's their business or something else. I think that's absolutely the right, the most productive and the happiest, uh, most satisfying mentality to have about that.
0: Yeah, Lewis Howes said it well. He said, we have two hands, one to serve ourselves and the other to serve others. And it is a lifelong perspective of mine that serving lifelong is something that all human beings should do. So maybe that means you earn money serving, maybe it doesn't. And yet the act of serving is where the joy and the fulfillment come in. So figure out a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you uh, you held up your book about real estate investing, busting real estate investing lies. I'd like to dive into that and, and hear what you have to say, because I, I think there are a lot of, I'll, I'll soften it misconceptions about real estate investing out there but i like the way that you put it so let's break into it let's hear you know your perspective on that
0: Absolutely. Well, it, as you picked up on, I didn't soften it at all. <laughs> because I think in our world today, you know, a lot of times we're unclear on things because things are unclear. And so I tried to make it as specific as possible. And this is actually, frankly, a very simple book. It, it isn't designed to get into heavy duty commercial real estate investing at all. It actually just hits sort of the basic single family home space. And yet, my co-author, Jimmy Vreeland, and I told a story throughout the book that makes it engaging and fun. And then my husband has software that are calculators that people use in the financial services side of business to prove all things financial. And one of the things that we can prove with that calculator, with the real estate calculator in particular, there's about 10 of them, is the rate of return that your particular real estate investment earns. And that's a super, super important thing to get your arms around because so many times people think they have a good deal, but they don't even really know what that is.
1: So what do you, from your perspective, what do you think the mistake that people make in that case where they think they have a good deal, but they they might not? And, and how can they suss that out with the, the calculators?
0: Yeah, great question. So the, mis- the specific mistake or lie, if you will, is that a real estate deal is good. And I think it has a subset, which is I'm going to then put more money in it and that's going to get me a better rate of return. So while we all know that putting more down payment will net you higher cash flow, typically a higher down payment actually reduces the rate of return because less of other people's money, right? And on my own podcast, so I have the Prosperity Podcast, and we had a just last couple weeks a session on the different variations of the definition of OPM. So in real estate, we all think of it as other people's money, mm-hmm. but it's also other people's minds, and it's other people's mistakes. <laughs> so we, with this real estate calculator, are able to prove to people on a single sheet of paper, If you put extra money down on your deal, you're actually, in most cases, hurting your rate of return because you're not taking advantage of other people's money. The other thing that we're able to prove to overcome the mistake of putting too much down is a second mistake, which is paying extra on the principal of the loan. And so, whether it's somebody's primary residence or an investment real estate deal that they're doing this with, you have a lot of people that don't know any better. And so we can prove again, very simply that, you know, extra payment on the loan, a monthly payment against principal is not helping your return either. And then there's a third part we'll get to, but I want to pause for a minute and just make sure I'm being clear.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think you're uh, paying down the mortgage early. I mean, especially now, with rates at I mean 3% and, and so many other options. I mean, you could put that money somewhere else and and do a bit better as far as your your rate of return goes. Assuming your rate maximizing rate of return is is somebody's goal. I mean, sometimes folks want to at least have the perception they're minimizing risk. And a reasonable way to think about doing that is, is paying down debt. That is, that is a type of risk, um, but not a way to maximize your return, so to speak.
0: I agree. And I'll even um, maybe challenge you a little bit on the risk or challenge the listeners, if you will, (laughs) because a paid down property, so not paid off yet, but paid down, is actually the riskiest position ever. Because as we know, the banks will happily sell that property for pennies on the dollar because the debt is small. So it's our recommendation that people either go all the way and pay it off. And that's actually not our recommendation. But if sometimes, you know, peace of mind overrides financial wisdom.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so if your peace of mind says, I have got to get this paid off, then go all the way. And until then, store all that extra somewhere else. And our recommended somewhere else is the whole life insurance policy, because that's the best place to store cash that supports that real estate. And uh, my co-author on this book talks about you can't eat equity oh, that's <laughs> because true. as we know, you build equity in a property that is not your asset. It, you know, it may be listed on your balance sheet, but you don't control that. Whereas you want to build that, quote, equity in other assets that you control 100% and then use that asset to pay the whole thing off all at once. Way better reduction of risk.
1: That is a good point. And another risk there, whether you owe you have a lot of equity in a property or you own it uh, outright, that all that equity is a risk in that it exposes you to potential liability from lawsuits, things like that. I'm not I'm obviously not an attorney, and I've said that many times Me. before. <laughs> but you know, if you put that equity somewhere else and just use that asset to produce cash flow, then you know that asset presumably can have less risk for for you from a liability standpoint, because there's just less there, as long as it's asset protected and everything like that, less there to you know, wring money out of from a potential uh, lawsuit.
0: Right. You got it.
1: Okay. So you're talking about the, the whole life insurance policy. And you know this is one of the things that I've, I've struggled with because we've talked about this on the show before. And can you catch our listeners up that, that haven't heard about this as a strategy. And then I might have some follow-up questions for you about that.
0: Absolutely. So Whole Life is a product that's been around two to 600 years, depending on what you pick as its starting point. And it is so important to identify that it is not an investment. It's a place to store cash. And cash and liquidity are not investments. Like those are two separate things. So you could call it a savings equivalent, but I don't let my clients say, well, I'm going to invest in whole life. Investments are real estate, life settlements, oil and gas businesses. Savings is cash and a whole life cash value, So That's what the savings component is called, is earning in today's world at around 5% without taxes. So for a lot of your listeners that are in those upper incomes, that's like a 7 or 8% return on liquid dollars. Now, yes, it has a death benefit attached, and that is valuable. Last time I checked, death was a guaranteed event for every single one of us. <laughs>
1: True, death and taxes, yes. And so
0: case. we can bring that forward into our real estate deals as well as into other aspects of our lives because of the guaranteed. Guaranteed death plus guaranteed payout, put those two guarantees together, and there's some value there. Nevertheless, it's usually the cash value that most people are looking, and there is no more similar product than real estate and cash value life insurance. So whole life insurance, cash value life insurance, pays dividends and supports investment real estate better than anything I know because real estate investors always need cash. They either need cash to solve emergencies, like take care of air conditioners that go out or parking lots that need to be resurfaced or whatever it is, or, and really both, and, or take advantage of opportunities like a down payment on their next deal. The other thing that these two products work together really well with is that a lot of people, when they're getting started in the real estate game, save monthly. And Real estate doesn't like monthly savings. Real estate wants a lump sum down payment to secure a property. True. So how do you get that down payment? Well, you can save monthly into a life insurance policy, build up that down payment, borrow against the life insurance. Like I said, works exactly like real estate, make the down payment on the property, and then go forward in that vein. And so those two, again, the life insurance and the real estate investing work hand in hand all the way. Through people's lives, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in tons of clients' lives all over the country. The good real estate investors store cash because, again, it helps them solve emergencies, take advantage of opportunities.
1: So, okay, so you uh, get the uh, get a, life, a whole life insurance policy with uh, a cash value. You take the cash out to invest it in real estate as you can. Is when is it accruing that five percent? When there's cash parked in there, or is it all the time? And then what happens when you know people kind of pull that money out of the policy and invest it in something else?
0: OK, so let's unpack your statements, because there's some language that you've picked up that is very common on the web and very inaccurate.
1: Oh, boy, here we go. Uh-huh. All right, I like this. Let's get started.
0: <laughs> so you talked about, and this is, like I said, totally common, pulling money out, you don't pull it out any more than you pull money out of real estate, right? If you have a real estate deal and you borrow against, here are the different language, mm-hmm. then you're borrowing against equity, or you're cla- cross collateralizing, or you're doing whatever you're doing. But we don't, we don't. Ten- I mean, sometimes we use the term "pull out," but we know in our heads that what we really mean is borrow against when we're talking about real estate the exact same thing is true. So let's put some dollar figures on it. If you have $100,000 of cash value or 100 million, you know, wherever your life is in terms of zeros, just use easy numbers, 100 grand of cash value, and you borrow $60,000 against it in order to go do a down payment on a deal, your cash value still grows at the $100,000 level at 5%. And I will come back and answer the second part of your question there. Whereas, in addition to that, your $60,000 loan is going to cost you, let's just say 6%. There are some variations there, but for easy math today. Now, let's stop there because what people want to do is say, well, that's not a good deal. I'm growing at five, I've got a cost at six. That's the wrong comparison. My 5% growth of cash value should be compared to the less than 1% that I can earn on cash in any other institution. Bank, credit union, brokerage house, those are all less than 1% and taxable. So the five that I get on liquid money at a life insurance company is going to be compared to the one or whatever it is that I would get at a bank. The 6% loan cost should be compared to the rate of return that I earn on my real estate deal, which is why it's so handy to have a real estate calculator like we do that enables people to identify the exact rate of return. So let's say that you've got a fourplex or a, I don't care, 30-door apartment building, it doesn't matter, and you analyze the rate of return and it's 12%. Well then your 6 is compared to 12 and that is a doubling of money that is a 100% improvement from 6 to 12 it's a 6% spread 6 plus 6 is 12 but 6 to 12 is a doubling of money it's a 100% improvement that is the comparison that you make with the loan your 60,000 cost you 6% but it got you 12% which is a 100% improvement you see the distinction there and also why we use the term borrow against not Take from.
1: Hey, that's important. That that is it's subtle, but it's it's a big difference when you really get into the details. Um, now, on that, how is that six percent or whatever the percentage is um, against the loan? How is that uh, like amortized? And what does the actual loan look like? Because you know we have mortgage, we got thirty year, whatever, blah blah blah. How does that work with uh, whole life insurance?
0: Absolutely, loans? I want to answer that in two seconds because I just want to cool. go back real quickly Great. to finish. So the 5% that you earn, or it's 4.5, or it's 5.2, or whatever it is on your policy, which is going to be dictated by gender and health, is earned from day one. This is the hardest thing for people to get their arms around. The challenges also in day one are the commission to the agent and the cost of the death benefit, as well as the running of the mutual life insurance company where you buy your policy. So there's not a lot of cash value in the first year. And that's what always really throws people. But I can prove that the actual rate of return starts in the first year and then goes on throughout the ownership of the policy, which whole life is named that way because you're supposed to keep it your whole life. So that's the answer to your question on the growth of the cash value. 5% from day one. It's just that there's not much in there in day one. Day two, really year two, is where the real actual dollar figure starts to be present. Now, back to the loan, the 6% is a fixed rate. It is, and this is another area where there's a lot of wrong information on the web. It is a normal amortized loan. There is nothing special about it. There is no such thing as simple versus compound, which is commentary that comes out of a lot of people's mouths that, frankly, just haven't been educated thoroughly enough to understand the distinction because any loan past one day is a compound loan. The reason that we get so confused with the life insurance loans, and most life insurance companies today are charging either 6% or 5% fixed, and then, of course, you can get variable rates at three or four, just like variable you know, mortgages. Well, fixed mortgages are even low right now. But as we know, we're kind of in a weird interest environment. Let's not confuse that issue. Your loan from the life insurance company, whatever rate it is, is probably fixed and it is charged like a normally amortized loan. The only difference is the interest is only billed once a year and it's on your anniversary date. And that's what gets people a little confused with the whole simple interest thing, which again is is not accurate. It's a compound loan. You are in complete control of that loan. You decide when you want to make principal payments. Again, the interest is due once a year. If I have a cash flowing real estate deal and I'm earning cash every month, I pay that loan off monthly, just like I would a mortgage. If I'm doing a fix and flip, then I pay it when I sell the property. So it's my choice on the loan at the life insurance company against my cash value when and how I pay the principal back. The interest again is charged once a year.
1: Okay, so okay, so you're you're making that interest payment, but you're not paying down the principal unless you want to. You got it as long as you're I guess what happens if you don't make the interest payment that that's a big what if right? it yeah, could happen? It gets,
0: it gets added to the loan. No different. Yeah. No different than a bank.
1: Okay. But they don't, they don't come uh, knocking at your door, I guess is what I'm wondering. No.
0: They always reserve. So this is kind of an interesting fact. Life insurance companies reserve dollar for dollar. They are 100% legal reserve companies. As we know, banks reserve about seven cents on the dollar or (laughs) even less.
1: Almost nothing. Zero if they had had a choice. Yeah.
0: So um, if you have a, cash value life insurance, they only allow you to borrow against it 95%. So if you have 100000 technically, you could only borrow 95000 And that is that fudge factor to make sure that if you need to add interest to your loan, that you're still protected. Because remember, there's also a dividend paid every single year. So some of my clients, if they got in trouble, like in 08 and 09, when real estate went all wonky then they would use the dividends from the life insurance company to pay loans down or to pay them back or to pay interest if their real estate wasn't doing it for them. So there's some flexibility there. And again, a lot of control on the side of the owner and also a lot of ability to just make sure that that policy is going to stay in force for them even if the loan becomes a problem because the real estate isn't doing what it's supposed to do.
1: Mm, okay. Okay. That makes sense. I want to make sure we, I, I want to jump back to uh, the book really quick and just see if we can grab another, I'll, I'll say lie. I, I want to say misconception. I'm just not a harsh person, but <laughs> grab another one while we've got you. I feel like we've, you know, we really hammered on the, the insurance policy for sure.
0: Sure. Well, I think it is this idea of financial freedom Mm -hmm. because so many people talk about it. I know it's a major focus for your community. And I think a lot of times we think that financial freedom is literally as much money to live the rest of my life and never having to work again. And kind of like we started our conversation with, that's not only is it not... Feasible, not accurate. It's not helpful to you as a human being in most cases. And so, Jimmy, my co author, and I really hone in on what is your strike number and what is it that could get you mentally, financially free, even if it doesn't mean no work the rest of your life. And so, there's another part of that, which is that 87 is the new 65. So, do we have a minute for a story?
1: Please hit us with it. So Let's do it.
0: If you do the research on the math for when age sixty-five was chosen as retirement, which was nineteen thirty, and you move that forward to today with longevity, because when sixty-five was chosen, the average male died at sixty-seven. <laughs> so, if you move that math forward, then the retirement age that our society should be talking about is 87. And so when you think about that, and that's why me sitting here today in my mid-50s, absolutely going to work another 30 years, partially because I love what I do, partially because I know, and this is the lie that we address in the book, that people are going to live so much longer than they expect. Somebody in your generation, I mean, you're looking at 120, piece of cake.
1: Hey, I'll take it. I like living.
0: Agreed. (laughs) And so there's no way that you can save enough money from, say, 30, but, you know, people really get their careers going at 30. You can't save enough money from 30 to 60 to then live 60 to 120, Um, maybe not even 60 to 90, which is sort of more my generation's timeframe, if you will. So that lie that we want to, quote, do nothing is a societal thing that's not accurate. Even the American Association of Retired Persons is starting to shift their language a little bit on that. And then the lie that age 65 should have anything to do with anything right now, if you want an age, it needs to be 87. And by the way, I've got family members on both sides, both my dad and my husband's mom, who are in their 80s and still working. And we're going to see that more and more and more. And they're happy and they're enjoying it. Now, they're not knocking out 60 hours a week at work, but 30 or 40, it's keeping the bills paid. It's keeping them active mentally, physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, right? Like every L-Y word that we can think of is why we want to keep working.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with satisfaction in what you do and, and getting to do what you want, when you want, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to just go do nothing the rest of my life. Sometimes, you know, that it definitely, I think, should include contributing in some way and contributing in some way can include receiving a paycheck for it. But, Absolutely. you know, it'd be great if we get to the point where we don't need the paycheck. We just kind of do it for the fun of it. And we have we know something that we wanna do for fun. I mean, shoot, this is, I love doing this stuff, right? People, what we're doing right now, right? This is fun.
0: Yep, 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 serving others, having a great conversation, both of us learning. I mean, that should be a part of every day.
1: Absolutely, and the Passive Wealth Strategy Show should be a part of every listener's day out there. I gotta get a plug in, I love it. Right now, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Kim, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: So I love the second part of the question, other than your education. It's on purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. Because learning or learnings is so, so critical. And I made the distinction earlier between investing and savings, and so if it's all right with you, I'm going to switch the words out because the best savings vehicle that I have of all the things that I do is a stack of whole life insurance policies. I own over 20 of them. They create my ability to invest, and I am so grateful for them because they sustain my ability to invest. Because all the good investments, and my favorites are probably the oil and gas arena, life settlements, real estate, they all require cash. And I could not run our business, businesses, really because my husband has a separate business, or our lives, or our investments without that cash and liquidity that's stored at life insurance companies.
1: Interesting. So I, that gets into an interesting topic about having more than one. I mean, when, in my mind, when I think about this, I think one. You know, not 20 or, you know, any other number other than one.
0: So the reason is because as you grow your income, you're going to want more policies because you're going to start a policy with the maximum cash value, minimum death benefit structure that so many people have learned about. And when you don't have children, that's pretty much all you're going to do is you add children or other liabilities like real estate deals with debt on them. Then you might add some term insurance. Then you might convert term insurance to a second policy. And then your income will go up for your next deal or your next job promotion or whatever it is. And then you add another life insurance policy. And then you get married and you have, and I kind of did that backwards, kids before marriage, but you know who knows in today's world, right? Then you have one on your spouse. Then you get key employees and you have one on them. And then your income rises again and you buy another policy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why people that understand how they work have 20 or 30 policies, because all those different aspects of your life create the opportunity to buy another one. Nice. I like that.
1: Well, we have the best investment or I guess the best savings. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever
0: made? Getting distracted in my business because it's so easy to do and... We are so much better when we're super, super focused. I say we, because we definitely have a team and I'm probably the biggest cause of the distractions. So figure out what you're good at, go there, stay there.
1: Absolutely. I always, uh, folks in real estate like to call it shiny object syndrome. I'm definitely subject to that myself. And until I really Started to learn how to deal with that and recognize it. I, I stagnated. But once I started recognizing it, started staying focused, boom, then we're doing deals. We're getting things done. But it's it really can hold a lot of folks back, myself included.
0: Yep. Me my too.
1: Favorite, <laughs> my favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: So the quality of time is going to be my most important lesson, because when we think about, I like to visioneer as opposed to set goals. And so when I visioneer and visioneer to me is like further down the road, like goals are specific and measurable. Visioneer is not, it's beyond that. But the quality of the time that I spend doing that, and then the quality of time and the quantity of time that I spend In my focused area of expertise. And then also the quality and quantity of time that I spend on chill time or free days or, you know, clarity days or whatever you want to call them. And the breaking up of those times, so, calendar control is absolutely my most favorite thing, the thing that's made the biggest difference for me, the thing that if somebody's asking, like, well, you know what what area should I start on in terms of personal improvement? That's always the one that I hone in on is calendar control and really looking at your time.
1: Nice. I love that. I think time. Well, I even think I'm confident that time is our most valuable asset, our time in the day, our time in our lives. You know, we live we live short lives. And um, yeah, such, such an important lesson. Kim, thank you for joining us today. Bring us all these great lessons. If folks want to reach out, they want to get in touch with you. If they want to find your books or anything like that, where can they track you down?
0: So I made a special website for your community. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's prosperitythinkers.com forward slash Taylor. So um, I don't know if you do show notes or what have you, mm-hmm. but Uh, There's a picture, of course, backwards because the camera prosperity thinkers.com forward slash Taylor.
1: Great. Well, for our show notes editors out there, please take note of that and make sure we get that in the show notes and uh, it will be right there. Kim, thank you for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts. I appreciate that so much that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, don't forget to subscribe. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.